Hi, and welcome to the McGregor Dementia Support Ministry Podcast, a podcast providing relevant resources to those currently walking the dementia journey with their loved ones. Today's podcast is a session recorded from our Alzheimer's and Dementia Seminar held here at McGregor Baptist Church on February 18th, 2023. Today's podcast session is a panel discussion on senior living and care planning, hosted by Kim Mitchell. So today we're going to try and provide an overview of where you need to start your care planning. Um, Many of you uh, marked, over 50 of you, that you are care partners to someone with dementia. Uh, That person might be in the early stages or further along, but regardless, uh, as Amy mentioned, we always need to be planning ahead. And so we hope to give you some tools with our panel today to do that. Um, In your materials, there are Uh, flyers from each of the people on the stage so you can pull those out and you can certainly meet them on Main Street they all have a table on Main Street Uh, but I'd like to introduce each of them to you Um, starting on the end in the flower dress is uh, Dawn Moore she is an aging life care professional with Cypress at home Uh, Cypress is uh, sponsoring our lunch today so you can enjoy that later Um, Dawn is a registered nurse and a certified aging life care manager and she has over 30 years of experience in our community. So welcome, Dawn. Thank you. Uh, Lance is old hat at the McGregor Alzheimer's Dementia Seminar. This is your fifth year, because it's our fifth year. Um, Lance is with the elder law attorney with Osterhouten McKinney, and his firm specializes in elder law, including estate planning, Medicaid planning, and veterans benefits. So we welcome you back, Lance. Thank you. Uh, Cynthia is in pink, Cynthia Perthews, and she is with, uh, she owns Senior Care Authority of Southwest Florida and New York. So are the drivers worse in New York or uh, Southwest Florida? Southwest Florida. <laughs> okay. Gosh, I was hoping we might actually not be the worst. Okay. It's, it's the yellow light. The it's yellow the yellow light. light. That's, that's fair. Um, as uh, Dr. Shaw was talking, Pastor David said he's not wrong. So I don't think we can deny it. Uh, Her company has helped thousands of families with their care needs, including placement services, elder care consulting, and advocacy, and she is a certified dementia practitioner. And last but not least is Laura Pardo, and she is with the Area Agency on Aging of Southwest Florida. She's a Florida native who believes life is a gift, and she has been happily married, and she's a proud grandmother, and she is the client services supervisor since she just told me the hurricane. So she's, that's called baptism by fire right there. <laughs> um, all right, so what we're gonna do is we're going to address the questions that the panel's gonna answer to a hypothetical c- couple who I've named John and Sally. Uh, John is starting to show signs of memory loss. They've been married for 50 years and they're frugal with their money over the years. They have some life insurance and a very good Medicare supplement. And they share a checking account, so Sally's pretty sure it's going to be just fine, and she'll figure it out later. Um, They promised each other they would take care of each other at home, no matter what or however long. And although they don't have a will or any legal documents, it's going to be okay because they're married. Um, And they'll just go to their kids when they die. So we've now met John and Sally, 
And um, what we're going to do is we're going to ask some questions now. So um, let's maybe start out with a few of the misconceptions that Sally may have. Uh, maybe, Don, you want to take the first? Mm -hmm. What's something that jumps out at you? Um, you know, I think it's human nature to just think that we've got all the time in the world. We can postpone and uh, maybe procrastinate a little bit with, with regards to planning. But um, especially with Alzheimer's, but with any disease, we, you know, or just life in general, we really do need to be forward thinking and planning um, forward because it really allows for us to become more educated, to make uh, better decisions to um, empower and, and allow for us to really have better outcomes. With Alzheimer's and dementia in particular, we know that there's a you know, window of time when it comes to making um, significant uh, legal decisions and participating in that. Um, you have to be competent in order to, to participate and to um, um, sign or make decisions um, in that regard. And so it's very important to do those things ahead of time. Otherwise, you may not get to participate. You may not be able to direct. You may not be able to assign people who are going to make healthcare decisions for you or financial decisions for you. So it's very, very imperative to be on the front end of those things and do it um, early on rather than waiting until it's um, too late to where you may not get to participate. Cynthia, what might you add to that? Hey, pull up, we learned earlier. <laughs> um, what I would add is that one of the things that you said that she promised yeah. that she was going to take care of him at home. And what we like to think of is be careful what you promise. What you're really promising is that you'll care for them. And sometimes caring for them is not at home. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it is caring for them and yourself and the rest of your family members in a place that specializes in memory care or specializes in caring for people who are less young. And so don't hang up on that, I promised to keep them at home. Think about, I promised to take care of them. Yeah, yeah great. Thank you. Uh, Lance, why don't you uh, piggyback on what uh, Don mentioned in terms of their legal documents? <laughs> sure. So one of the things in, in our society, we're so used to acting for our spouses and, you know, for medical if, if I rush my spouse to the hospital and she can't speak for herself, well, the hospital, the, the doctors, they will look at me as spouse because we actually have a law that says if I can't speak for myself for medical, then my spouse can act. And, and that works pretty good on that first level, but then when we get down to the next layers, the kids, Sometimes it's decision by committee, and that's not always a good thing. You're going to know better in your own specific circumstances. But the ability to act for our spouses does not work in the financial world. And you can kind of understand, we really don't want to just let anybody go invade our bank accounts. You know, I love my children, I trust them to death, but if they could just walk into the bank and, and say, here I am, I'm a child, let me act that would be a problem. So we have to appoint those people who can act financially, even our spouse, and that's the power of attorney. You guys have all heard that term. And, and so where we get so used to using the joint bank account, you know, both people have authority to act. That's great. But when we start dealing with real estate or houses, even when it's owned by husband and wife, 
One person can't act. It takes both people to act, and that's that power of attorney. So probably the biggest thing, you know, we think about estate planning documents and we think about wills and trusts and how to get the money to the right people. And those are all important things. But probably the most important thing is, is just making sure you've named the right person to act for you when you can't while you're alive. I mean, after all, I mean, you would be my client. I want you to be in control of your plan. And that's where you can appoint the right people. And, and sometimes that changes, you know. So often I have clients that's like, well, birth order, you know, okay, I'm not sure. And, and sometimes, you know, one does much better with the medical and the other does better with the finances. It's, it's not about trust or love. The only other thing I would say is, is that when, when you've worn the shoes of caregiving, you realize that these appointments are not necessarily prizes that are being handed out, you know? I mean, they're, they're kind of a, an obligation and a responsibility. And, and so, and, and, I've, and I know you guys realize that because when you walk out, I mean, when I'm sitting with you, you say, oh, I'm not sure I wanna put this on child so-and-so. Um, so those are, those are just some things that uh, sometimes clients say, oh, I don't want to uh, leave somebody off. Okay, it's, you are the best person to judge who is the, the right team for you. And, and um, it is a team. Right, so that was one of the follow-up questions. So a lot of times, maybe if we've done our power of attorney a decade ago and we named our spouse, but now our spouse has dementia, that's not gonna work anymore. But in general, I mean, you recommend one backup or two backups or? Yeah, so how, what's the magic number? And, and so that what, what I like to say is we just want the, the most resilient plan that, that you can develop. And, and so sometimes we do need to eliminate our spouse who's starting to show signs. Um, because, you know, one of the problems with these, these memory diseases is, is that if I'm suffering from it, I don't always have good insight. And I still think, I'm the guy, right? I'm the one who should still be in charge. And my wife says, you're not the guy because you aren't remembering things. And, and so they should be updated. The magic, I always like to get at least three, but again, that's not really a magic number. It's just, uh, the good news is I haven't yet found a lawyer who charges by the name. So you can stuff as many names as you want in there. All right, great. So I just want to mention that uh, if you don't get these power of attorney documents and you don't get your healthcare power of attorney set up, um, you will possibly become subject to guardianship. And the short story is that's an expensive process we don't want to be part of, right? That, so that we try to avoid guardianship like the plague, not, yeah. be, not because it's an evil thing, but it just so many uh, people involved in the cost. Uh, if you can find your trusted advocates, that's a much more efficient system. Yeah. So um, Sally, Sally uh, what may lead Sally, our fictional Sally, to believe that she needs help uh, with John? So right now she thinks she's on her own. So what's, what normally happens in your experience, Dawn, that all of a sudden Sally realizes she made a bad assumption? Um, I think probably one of the biggest dis, uh, markers is just when someone, um, when you're noticing your loved one requires more help. 
and you're starting to struggle with providing that help, or maybe there's been an event, maybe they've wandered, maybe um, uh, you know there are things we just never think are going to happen, but all of a sudden you're there's or or, or the caregiver themselves may be experiencing um, medical issues that need to be focused on themselves. Um, I I just had an experience with a um, client whose caregiver spouse tripped on on uh, the sidewalk and ended up having to go to the emergency room with um, an ankle fracture. And it was really a big deal because she had to, she needed to figure out who was going to either take care of her demented husband while she went to the emergency room or bring him there to hang with her for six or eight hours in the emergency room. And so things like that, that we really just don't anticipate happening. We need to be having a plan long before something happens and just assume that, that something will happen. Um, and we need to preserve our own health and well-being as a caregiver. And oftentimes we're not sensitive to what those signs may look like that we're starting to experience burnout or um, challenges of our own. Yeah, I always, uh, in support group, I always tell my caregivers that you're not going to get a memo the day that things are going to go bad ahead of time. So you got to like plan for the memo that's not going right. to come. Um, uh, Cynthia, um, when Sally realizes she needs help, um, what are what are like? I mean, what are the options of help? <laughs> what does that look like? Sure. Um, before I go there, I want to add one more thing to Dawn. You know, we know that 67% of caregivers die before the person they're caring for, and just like you said, there's not a memo. You don't know the day. You you don't want to be the caregiver that dies when your loved one is left behind um, uh, and needs more help. But the options and the different things that are out there, there's a plethora of things that you can put together to care for your loved one. Whether it's staying at home and building a team at home, which could include caregivers or people to come in for activities, or day, daycare centers where you can go and take them for the day. Um, there's a number of things you can do there. There's also a number of communities. There's about 92 different communities between Marco Island and Sarasota that are highly equipped to deal and work with people who have memory care in a loving, caring, and professional manner. And those are options that seem really great that we have all those options, but people like me, we work as, um, as, as agents to help you go through and figure out and not go visit 92. When my father had Alzheimer's, I visited 27 communities in the state of Texas, and I lived in Manhattan, and it took me three years. I was the worst customer I could ever have, okay? And, and in the end, I placed him someplace I had never been because at 3 a.m. that morning, I got a call in Manhattan that said, your father was on the road going to the grocery store with the dog in his pajamas. And I had to get up the next morning and fly to Texas and place him someplace like that. And it was a place I hadn't even seen in those 27. So we, we work as, a, as an agent who can help you go through those options um, and also help you understand the options of staying at home and how to do that as well. And then eventually possibly skilled nursing when the disease progresses. Eventually, possibly skilled nursing, but what I see in this industry now and in the, the world that we live in is very few people are moving from memory care to skilled nursing because memory care communities are getting more and more adept at taking care of end-of-life um, um, issues, and more and more people are paying attention to end-of-life choices and how they want their lives to end. And so they're planning for it, and they can age in place both at home 
and die at home, or they can age in place in memory care and die at memory care. So we don't always have to think about going off to skilled nursing like we, we used to do. Um, there are still plenty of skilled nursings, and there are not very many beds because they're always full, I feel like. But that's not always the continuum of care that happens. You don't have to always think, and then I'll go to skilled nursing. So just want to kind of think outside the box on that. Right, so you mentioned there's 92 locations, and um, so there's so many options, right? I'm never gonna have trouble finding a bed, right? I'm gonna, there's all these choices, right? And there's all these rehab facilities around, right? So no matter what, I'll have somewhere to take them, right, Don? No problem? Um, that's not right. Oh. <laughs> no. Um, but you know what? Yes, we, we've come a long way in our community with offering many, many flavors of care communities and facilities if that is an option and, and something that, that, um, that you need to um, uh, consider and, and, and many people do. Um, I would say um, it's very exciting after being in the community for so long, what we started with versus what we have now. Um, it, it, we, it's, I'm very proud of, of how we've evolved, but so very important to, again, um, educate yourselves on what, um, first of all, the differences in, in what um, levels of care are, what um, different care facilities offer, what their licensure allows for them to do in caring for your loved one, um, and to find a, you know, to be able to really see the flavors so that you can figure out what would work for your person or for you as a couple. Um, it, you know, there's many, many things to really consider and explore. And I would just encourage you to really do it on the front end again. Um, have the opportunity to really go look. Um, you don't want to just uh, read about them. You want to go see them, see the um, the nature of the community, who lives there, because it is truly communal living, and it's um, important. But the other thing is, is that um, uh, I would say it's very important if you're looking at communal living and you're a couple and you're a caregiver spouse, looking at options that might be able to meet the needs of both of you is oftentimes a really interesting concept as well. And but important to do early on rather than later. And as far as long-term beds, you know, if you're, um, many people choose to um, um, care for their loved one at home, but eventually it may not be possible to maintain that care at home for many, many reasons. But um, it's, it's very challenging to find a long-term bed in our community at the time that's gonna be right for you. And oftentimes, it may not, you may not be able to find a space in a, an assisted living facility or a memory care facility at the time that you are looking for it. So it's really important to be forward thinking, consider getting on wait lists, um, maybe even consider moving sooner than, than later if moving is what you're you know, looking uh, to doing, you know, forward to doing in the future. Um, so those are, those are just some good ideas in, in planning forward. Yeah, I know you want to say something about wait lists. I, I can see it in your eyes, so go ahead. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things I want to say. I, I, I'm right on task with, with Dawn. And for those of you who stopped by my table, I'll ask you this question. How do you eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time. There are what I call about three bites in the process of moving to communal living. That's the where, the when, and the how. And we always encourage you, just figure out where. Go look before there's a crisis. You don't want to be that person who's in Manhattan at 3 a.m. Again, I looked, I didn't look at the right places, but you wanna look before, and you wanna have that little piece of paper that says, you know what, if something happens, this is where I'd like to go. And you put that away, and then you can go on and figure out the when and the how later. You don't wanna figure out, what do I do with grandmother's china today? Because that's not important. We'll figure that out later. Let's just figure out where. And as far as wait lists are concerned, um, I, I um, with all due respect, I believe wait lists are a marketing ploy because if you need a bed at ABC Community, you might not be able to get it on Monday, but you might be able to get it the next Monday, or you might be able to get it the next month on that Monday. And so if that's where you want to be and that's your where, you need to be patient with that. And as far as, now for some of the CCRCs and life plan communities, there is a waiting list, but for rental communities, that waiting list, it, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't hold true because they move those waiting lists around. And um, they're looking for people who are ready to go now. So if you're on a waiting list and you're not ready to go right that minute, they're just gonna pass you by. So when you're ready to go, if you already know the where and you've already made a relationship with that place, then when you need a bed, they're going to be able to find one within a reasonable amount of time. Maybe not that minute, but there's some other things you can fill in with. All right, great. So um, to go on from that, um, what do these things cost? So just kind of briefly, like hourly price for home health, which most always will include a three-hour minimum. So who wants to throw that number out for me? <laughs> um, I mean, I can give a general yes. idea for home care. Um, and I want to say that it's about $35 an hour. That's yep. probably a, okay. a good ballpark figure. Um, but remember, that's three hours, yeah. so it's really $90. And for some, some home care um, yeah. agencies require four yeah. hours, yeah. and so it's important to know uh, that when you're, when you're exploring home care agencies. Yeah. It's bad math. That's all you need to know. All right. Um, monthly price range for memory care, which can be either a la carte, right, or kind of all-inclusive? Traditionally, memory care is all-inclusive. There are a few places who add on care to that, but all-inclusive means a number of different things. Is all-inclusive mean um, incontinence products? In some places, it does. Does all-inclusive include, um, include special care if you need special care or a higher level of care? So traditionally, as we heard earlier, people fall with dementia. There is that this fall risk piece. And we have clients who will go to memory care and then boom, they're hit with, well, you now need 24 seven because your loved one needs somebody to walk beside them. That's a, tr that's a very expensive. So you wanna know what all inclusive means as that definition. But memory care can cost anywhere from 4,000 to $12,000 a month. Um, according to where you go. And what I like to tell my clients is, maybe the 12,000 one has a really pretty chandelier, but the chandelier's not coming in to talk to you tonight, at night. They're not, they're not answering the buzzer. They're not the ones who are going to direct you to meals. But you wanna look at who has the best care. It's not about what a place looks like. Um, it's about what kind of care they have. And that's where we wanna really understand and do the research. So anyway, it's, it, can, it can range, it's a broad range in Southwest Florida. 
And then uh, I think skilled nursing is something like 350 to 500 a day. A day, right. Yeah. So that's going to be anywhere from twelve to $20,000 a month for skilled nursing if you're private paying. All right. So then, of course, we know dementia is a long disease. I don't know if we've mentioned it today, but uh, I think it's something like eight to 10 years from diagnosis to death. Yes. Um, so Lance, how am I going to pay for that? With my Medicare? So we, we, <laughs> Medicare will help when we're rehabbing coming out of the hospital, yeah. but um, it's, it's typically, it's maxed out, not typically, it is maxed out at 100 days um, if I had an acute hospitalization it triggered my three days of admission. You know, these are all kind of terms of art, but bottom line, that's where Medicare pays for the short term. Let me get you out of the bed, walking more stable, and maybe go home or assisted living. That's about it. Then we're looking at Medicaid as the solution to pay for skilled nursing longer than the 100 days and then it'll help a little bit with the assisted living. And some of these numbers, even, I'm, obviously I, I talk to clients all day long about these numbers, but these numbers have all gone up dramatically in, a, after the, the pandemic and, and the shortage of, of some staffing and people. So uh, it still shocks me to hear some of these numbers, but it, the, it's a very real thing. And um, so a Medicaid can help with assisted living, but it's just not really a great, um, it only pays about $1,400 a month against that $5,000 a month bill for assisted living. Veterans is another source of, of assistance. So anybody who is a veteran or a spouse, a surviving spouse of a veteran, then that's another source of, of financial help, which is really helpful for assisted living. And right. what we, is the name of the veterans benefit? Yeah. I'm sorry. So yeah, veterans is is the one the biggest uh, yeah. provider out there. So aid and attendance is and the attendance, the name yeah. that everyone clues into. The key to that is is that the veteran has to have served during a wartime period, and they don't have to be injured from that wartime period. They just have to serve. The quirkiest thing about veterans is is that they will define disability as reaching age 65. We're all gonna be there, you know? Um, something else that we always talk to our clients about that people forget about or don't remember, well forget or don't remember is the same, is long-term care insurance. And, and we'll talk to adult children and they'll say, oh no, my parents don't have long-term care. And we're like, what did they do? Well, they were both teachers. Teachers traditionally had very strong long-term care policies, that we, and, but their parents don't forget. Um, they don't remember. So, but it's been coming out of their pension check. So we always encourage people who were in unions or teachers um, to call that union, call back to the Wisconsin, to the teachers union, and say, here's my mother's name, here's her social security number, does she have long-term care? About 50% of our clients, when they do that, when we suggest they do it, find that there is a long-term care policy. So you may say, oh, we don't have one. The other thing I wanna tell you is that even though that we don't know how to use blinkers in Florida and we run through yellow lights, the price here, because I also do work in New York, my clients in New York, the average price for memory care in New York City is 18,000 a month, and I have clients who pay $45,000 a month for memory care. So keep in mind that we're really lucky that we live here. And it's sunny. 
365 days a year, more or less. Except when there's hurricanes, then we don't talk about that. So the, the, the luck, the other part of that side is, is that Florida, there, there's no family responsibility to pay for, for your loved one. Now, we may and we often will pay for our loved ones, certainly spouses. Every parent here has paid for their kids long beyond 18. Um, but uh, an example would be like Pennsylvania, that, that state, the kids can be sued no matter where they live. That was a, a recent case. The state of Pennsylvania sued the kids in New York for their parents' care in Pennsylvania. We don't have that in Florida. Um, so your kids are thanking you for being here because then they don't have that worry. They very rarely thank us for anything, so that's good. Um, so we mentioned Medicaid as an option. Um, just kind of yes or no, because I know it's way too complex to get into, but do I have to be totally indigent to qualify for Medicaid, like living on the street with $1,000 in my pocketbook? So that certainly would qualify you for Medicaid. <laughs> but um, the simple answer is, is, and that's one of the big myths, yeah. and as Pop pushed out there is, is that if I have any resources, I can't get that additional help, or I have to spend it all. And, and that's just a fallacy. That's not accurate. Uh, the law, federal law and the state law, allows us to shelter and protect our assets uh, so that we can get the help even though we keep our resources. Are, are we try we're not trying to bilk the government or, or, or get a free ride, but the bottom line is, is Medicaid doesn't pay for everything. And so if we can shelter our assets, we can use our assets to make our lives even more rich and fulfilling. For example, Medicaid won't pay for a uh, private room, but if my spouse is on Medicaid, I can then use our money, my money, to pay for a private room or extra caregivers. So there's a real purpose in trying to shelter. It's not just trying to skate through someplace. Um, so, but the big takeaway is, is don't just assume it all has to be spent. That is inaccurate. All right, so Laura, you're with the Area Agency on Aging. And so um, you're a government agency, correct? No, we're okay. a nonprofit. Okay. Primary, our primary funder is the government, but we are okay. a nonprofit. All right. So, um, talk to us about. Uh, so, we talked about Medicaid, which is a government resource. Can you tell us any other sorts of resources that are available through your agency, as far as uh, that might help people in these Certainly. Scenarios? Primarily, we're a resource and referral agency, and so the clients will call in and our specialists will speak to them to determine what exactly their need is. Are they looking for private pay resources that they're going to pay for? Or are they looking for help to pay for the facility? And so if they're looking for in-home care, then we can provide them the agencies that, that are within their e region that would help them. Or if they need help paying for the facility, we would schedule them for an assessment that takes about 45 minutes or an hour and they'll ask all kinds of questions to determine what their level of need is. And based on that level of need, they'll receive a ranking and the state will select people at the top of the list to receive that care. But as, as we said, it doesn't pay for all of the facility. It'll pay for about $1,400 of it. So if I need to apply for my, I think we call it a Medicaid waiver, mm -hmm. that's the name. Um, 
Do I start with you? Yes, you would call for the assessment. Once the client is selected to process, one of our enrollment specialists will contact them and help them to get all the paperwork necessary, the financial documents, um, the uh, 3008 form, which goes to their doctor that, that um, verifies what their medical needs are. And then it just, the sad thing is it takes time. There's just not enough funding and not enough time. And I, do I have to be low income to qualify for all the different types of services? Or are there some nope. services that are some different? Some of the, well, it would be lower income for the Medicaid funded services, but definitely not indigent. There's other services that are grant funded that for in-home care that are just based on the client's age or the Alzheimer's initiative will cover a lot of things. And it's not based on income, it's based on need. And like no offense to Lance, but do I have to hire a lawyer to apply for Medicaid or is that something I can no. do myself? <laughs> no, you can do it on your own. However, if you're not good with computers or like myself, I don't like paperwork. I tell my husband, just tell me where to sign. I don't wanna read it. Um, some people are more comfortable and you wanna do it the right way. And, and that's the purpose of getting the legal assistance to make sure everything is done the right way. But it's not necessary. Okay, so, um, but obviously if we wanted some help with the Medicaid process or the veterans benefit, that's the type of service that we can engage a law firm to do for us. Um, so if I'm able to obtain this infamous Medicaid waiver or the veterans benefits, and now I want to go find a memory care or skilled nursing, um, so what then? Where do I go from there? Um, I guess I could maybe, uh, do you have any lists or things that you provide? Um, we have some in our database, but there's a great website. It's, no, I can't even think, floridahealthfinder.gov. And with that, the clients themselves can go in and look and put in whatever parameters they have for what they're looking for. And it will spit out all of these different areas or, or um, facilities there where they want located, the location they want um, for the price they want, whether they take Medicaid, whether they don't. Um, and that's a good place to start. There's also organizations um, that will help people find facilities themselves. Um, they'll, they've done the research, they know which ones have complaints and which ones don't. And so they can give oh. us a call and we can help them. Maybe someone's here today, like, could tell us I about that. I wasn't gonna mention any names. <laughs> so Cynthia, would you comment on like this, and Don, you can comment on like the services that your company could provide in like that sort of area. So I'm not sure, how many of you saw the um, Super Bowl this weekend? Last week, and raise your hand. Did you see the commercial with the bun with the big rabbits that were going and taking people and throwing them down into the rabbit hole? Mm -hmm. You know, it was really frightening to me because I couldn't figure out what they were doing. And then, then a friend of mine who was watching with me said, "It's the rabbit hole. It's the internet rabbit hole." We really encourage people to stay away from the internet rabbit hole um, because with 92 places, there's a lot of information that may be on a fact and figure filtering system, but there's a lot of information that isn't. So I work very closely with a neurologist um, 
in this area. And he told me one day, oh, I know exactly where I want all of my clients to go. And he gave me the name of a community. And he said, I send them all to Community X. And I said, really? I said, what do you think about their, their bankruptcy and the fact that they've had three executive directors in the past year? How, does, how do you think about that? And he said, what do you mean? I had no idea. And I said, exactly, that's what we do. We have the ideas about that. It doesn't mean that that's not the right place maybe in the future when they get their management under control or when they get through their financial discussions and issues, but that's what someone like my agency does is we're in these communities all the time. My team is in a community every single day in Southwest Florida, and we're there understanding what's going on with management, how does staffing look, what does it smell like? How are things, um, how are the people that are there? What does that community look like? Because you wanna be in a community where there's like-minded people. And so that's what we do that isn't on a piece of paper or on a filter on, on the computer or down the rabbit hole. Do you have anything to add to that, Don? Um, I wanted to say, yes, in regards to ratings too, sometimes you know when we see something like maybe um, the star ratings, um, Oftentimes, when we look a little closer, um, some of the things that can maybe lower someone's rating might really not that be that important, like um, perhaps their tablecloths weren't ironed that day, or um, you know, um, something simple like that. And so I think that if you're going to look at ratings, um, you need to really kind of look at what they're looking at when it comes to how they rate care facilities, but um, most important, I, for, you know, for all, I think it's just really important to talk to people, um, get out in the community and really talk to different people, whether it's people who are experiencing placement for their loved one, whether or not it's um, professionals in the community who know. Um, uh, you know, it's just very, very important to, to actually go see for yourself and um, and have the opportunity to ask really important questions because if you're gonna just get on Google, you, you may be really disappointed and be misinformed. And so um, finding, uh, we, we have a, a huge community full of resources where you can really learn a lot, not to mention getting online and doing some studies of your own, you know, um, to prepare yourself for the for the next leg, which is actually going and seeing. So, um, but um, talking to people, um, joining support groups that uh, where people are actually um, experiencing um, placement for their loved ones or, or, or even doing the work, um, finding, um, having resources that come and present and show you what they can do to help you with some of that work. Um, is really, really important. Okay, so um, we've talked a lot about facilities, but you might also decide to hire a home health company to come into your home before you go to a facility. Um, what are some uh, things you would look for in hiring a home health company, Don? I think it's really, really important to understand that all, all home care um, agencies um, and providers are not the same. And so you have to do your homework. Um, um, you need to know the difference between a registry and an agency because um, with um, agencies, these are employees. And so they have training, they have supervision, um, there are requirements. They have insurance. In licensed and bonded. 
Um, those are very, very important things. Um, we, we have options you know, and choices in how we go about that, but it's just important to know the difference so that you can make an informed decision. And um, what is a registry? You mentioned that, but... The a registry, these are, these are self-employed folks that are... are um, Lance, you can even maybe explain it even better, but they're, they're, they're working independently. Um, they are not employed by the registry. Where a, with an with um, agency, they are employees, they go through screenings, they are trained, they have oversight, they have reviews, um, that kind of thing. So they are employees. Um, I think that in hiring your home care agency, it's so important to know what, what's important to you. What do you want? Um, what do you need? Uh, is there a number of hours? Some, uh, some home care agencies require that there's a, a minimum uh, number of hours that you are, are required in order to have them participate. Um, uh, I think it's very important to make sure that you've got a, an agency that takes their tr the training of their caregivers um, and make that's a, a, a really important piece for them because you don't want just a warm body. You want trained, skilled caregivers who want to be there providing a service. And, and I have incredible experiences with that. Um, um, but you've got to really ask for it. Uh, continuity of care. You don't want just 15 people showing up. Uh, you know, um, you want consistent caregivers that understand who you are, who your loved one is, or the person is that they're serving, and commitment to the care um, and part of the care team. And when we're talking about like a $35 an hour aid, yes. that's a, a home health aid or a like CNA type level trained person. Um, if you want nurse, if you need a nurse for like higher level care, that's going to be more like I think $120 an hour. Does that sound right? Uh, maybe 70 or you know something yeah. more like okay. that. I would say. All right. Yeah. Um, I, and I think something else that I know that Dawn's group does is look. People get sick. We all get sick and we all have to call into work and we're not there. But I know that, that you want to find somebody who, like your group, is very adept and quick at finding another person um, that fits into the category of who your family is and not just a warm body or can't find anybody because they don't have enough staff on their bench to be able to support that. But I know you all do a very good job at that. Yeah, I think sometimes we want to hire someone privately because maybe they're going to charge us $20 an hour, but you just have to remember if I hire Sally, and Sally has a family emergency, and you need to go to work. Sally doesn't have a backup unless she has a cousin or something. But so the advantage of hiring a home company is they, it's their job to find the backup. I mean, I'm not saying don't hire privately, but you just have to kind of know the pros and cons. If you have to go to work, you need someone to come to be there for your loved one. Um, we've talked quite a bit about memory care in terms of different things. Um, I did want to ask Laura. Um, to, I, I know the answer, so, but I, I, how do they first contact you, right? What's the method? Um, the easiest way to, is to contact the elder helpline. I think it's... Don't you have magnets on your table? Yeah, there's magnets on my table. That's a, be, that's a better idea. Yeah. I know it starts at 888. So um, they're great, like, phone, it looks like a phone, right? Like an old phone? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we like have the pamphlets out there. They didn't make it into the folders, unfortunately. That's okay. Um... But anyway, so call the elder helpline, and as I said, they will, um, they will start it for you. They will start the process, find out what you need, schedule the assessment if that's necessary, or, as I said, provide the 
the different home health aides or uh, someone to come and clean your home, whatever the, the need may be. And so that's, I, uh, we, many of you submitted questions ahead of time um, as part of the registration as far as like, how do I find affordable options? And you may be getting a little bit of sticker shock as we have this conversation. Um, and that's where going through the area office on aging, they have options of services to either reduce the cost of some of these services or to provide services free of charge, depending on what you qualify for. Um, but the way you start that process, again, is to plan ahead and call the 1-800 number now, not when Absolutely. you already need the services, right? Um, so we are doing amazing on time. I'm so excited about that. Um, you all think I'm neurotic, but it's really because I just want everyone to have a chance to share. And like, if the first person goes an hour over, then the other person doesn't have any time, right? So I'm just being fair. My mother always taught me to be fair, so. And my father always taught me life wasn't fair, so go figure it out. <laughs> so um, I think one of the hardest things in the question I get the most often is, so my loved one either does not have the insight that they have the disease, or they know they have the disease and that they just are totally uninterested in either having someone come into their home to help care for them because they just don't want someone in their house or they think their spouse should just be able to handle their needs because they don't really have the insight of how big their needs are. Um, how do we, um, just some ideas of like, how do we have the conversation of either we're gonna hire home health or it may be time to find a memory care community, like, how do we start to um, communicate those things to the person who needs the care? Um, and we will stay, all stay tuned later this afternoon when Dr. Shaw talks about communicating with empathy, but ahead of that, what are some ideas? I believe that someone who has dementia, and, and studies show they, they don't have the comprehension to be able to figure out some of these hard questions and answer these hard questions. So it's up to us as a caregiver to figure it out for them and then maybe just present them the two choices, the red shirt or the blue shirt, as opposed to saying, let's all go look, let's figure this out, let's look at the money. You as either the adult child or as the spouse, figure it out for them. Um, if I, every family is different, but I will tell you that 95% of family calls that I get say, my father will never, ever, ever in his life allow anyone to bathe him, never. Mm -hmm. So we don't need anybody because he will never. And anyone who says never, within a couple of weeks of having someone in their home, he's great being bathed by somebody else, or she's great being bathed by somebody else. My mother or my father, who was the CEO, a state senator, master of the universe, will never ever play bingo or, or the hokey pokey. And within a couple of weeks, they're all playing it and they're having a great time. I have a client who has a big red felt bag from a liquor company, but it's where he keeps all of his nickels because he goes to bingo and he plays with these nickels. And he, he was a Air Force pilot. He was a captain at American Airlines. There's no way, his, his daughter said he will never, ever play bingo. Plays it all the time. So never say never. 
and understand that it's a transition. It's a transition like going to college. It's a transition like moving to Florida. It's a transition like retiring. It's a transition like changing jobs. I worked for large corporations and every time I went in, I thought I would never remember where the bathroom was. I worked with 30 floors and I was like, I'll never know where the bathroom is. You know, within a couple of weeks, I figured out where the bathroom was. And I always knew where the bathroom was. So we think of it as that same way. And then there'll be ways that we'll learn to talk with empathy around those discussions. But sometimes you as the partner, as the caregiver, have to make those hard decisions alone um, without your spouse or without your parent. You don't have to do it alone, though, because you can go to support groups. Are there other people like on this stage or out here that you'll meet that can help you and support you? But it's not always a decision that's made with the person with the dementia. And, and starting small, I think, is key. Starting earlier than we think is really key. So just baby steps um, really make the... the um, process and the acceptance um, much easier, I think, from my experience too. And really um, preparing the caregiver that's going to be coming in ahead of time so that they really know who this person is that they're serving, where they came from, what their life has been. Um, that serves everybody and it really does uh, allow for us to serve them respectfully and well. Lance, what about like getting them to come see you and do what they need to do with their documents? So, so the good news is, is that um, the planning doesn't, you, you don't lose all options by not doing it early. So I don't want the message to be, if you don't come early, you've lost all chances. That no, I'm is, just saying, how do I actually get them to come at all? Right. <laughs> so but, so don't, don't just uh, assume there's no options there. There are always options. But... Frankly, it's just a, a level of lesser expense. The sooner that you get in um, and you have your plan, then you've avoided the crisis management, and that's where it just gets so much more expensive. So, so if you have a tight wad, you appeal to that. Well, it's going to cost more later. Like, how much might it cost if I have to be a guardian appointed? So a guardianship tends to be about $8,000 just to establish it. And then there's an annual fee uh, cost uh, ongoing. And that's not all to your lawyer. There's, there's doctors examining, giving opinions as to capacity. There's a lawyer for your loved one. So there's just lots of fingers in that pot. And power of attorney can be a couple of hundred dollars. So that's the comparison. Um, there are always solutions, but it's much less stressful if you do it in advance. Is it ever too early to get a power of attorney? Yeah, under 18. So then it's too early. I lobbed that one up for you. All right, well, can we give everyone up here a big hand of applause? Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe to this channel if you haven't already done so, and leave a review if you found this content helpful.